Hey, engine professionals, enthusiasts, and machinists, welcome to the AERA Engine Professional Podcast. Listeners, my name is Steve Fox, and you've already heard from my co-host Chuck Lynch with that great introduction. Nice job, Chuck. Thanks, Steve. Well, we're up to episode four, so we're doing something right. We still got a job here, um, having some fun with this. But in today's uh, podcast, we are going to talk about the value of machine maintenance and how important it is. But before we get to that, um, Chuck, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you found the other day? Yeah, Steve, you know, I was I was driving across the country and I was listening to a podcast and in that podcast the statement was made that it's difficult to find any place to get engine machinist educations certification as that's been taken out of the curriculum of a lot of schools and I got to thinking, you know, we should really share the opportunity that we have for the industry. Yeah, with the weather starting to cool off, you know, the leaves are turning and it's pretty soon here in the Midwest, we'll have that great four-letter word we don't like to talk about that's white and snow. We don't like to talk about snow here in the Midwest. At least I don't anyway. You know, people who make transmissions really like it, but I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, But kind of back to what you were talking about, AERA does have a cylinder head and engine machinist certification program. Rather that rather than that being a test to prove understanding, AERA has chosen to offer a comprehensive online training program leading to diploma quality certificates for cylinder head machinists and engine machinists. This allows technicians who successfully earn their certificates will hold proof that they have elevated understanding of fundamentals of machining, measuring tools, engine theory, engine disassembly, inspection, and component reconditioning. The nice part about this program that AERA offers is it's online self-paced course with up to one year to complete. They do have the option to get the automotive machining and engine repair book by Gary Lewis, which can be included with the registration fee and will be used as a syllabus when not online, or you can take the certification without the book at a reduced fee. So if you want the book, the fee is 150, and if you'd like to not take the book, it's 125. If you'd like more information about the AERA cylinder head and engine certification program, you can go to www.aera.org slash online dash training to register for the program. Kind of along those lines, Chuck, we also have what we have called our super webinar. And this is actually our second super webinar that we're going to do on Friday, November 20th. Yeah, Steve, excited about this. I think we got a pretty bang up lineup. Uh, some of the guys are w- definitely well known in the industry. Uh, we're going to have Chuck Barnett, and he's going to talk about valve seat materials. Uh, they've recently entered a couple of uh, new materials that are really beneficial, some targeting the diesel world. Uh, some more to the automotive gas world. And I think you're emergencing things. So I'm, I'm excited to hear what's coming from that. 
uh, Dan Bagley. Now, he's he's pretty well known throughout the the racing world. He's got a pretty storied career. He's with Molly Clevite. He is going to help us with uh, engine bearing design and coatings and explain, you know, where coatings are needed and, you know, get past some of those myths about coatings because people seem to think that it's a Superman's armor. Uh, yeah, we get that from... question. We get that question a lot on the tech line, you know, people call and asking about coatings. And so this will be very inf informative from Dan for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Alan Knechny with Sunnen, longtime friend, good mentor when it comes to honing machines. Uh, Alan does machine installs trainings on the tech line, uh, just an absolute wealth of knowledge. Alan's going to talk about maintaining your equipment uh, to ensure that you're, you can you know, provide good bore geometry. So he'll be discussing, you know, the universal joints, unions, uh, coupling shafts. So, so he'll take a deep dive into how that can impact cylinder bore geometry. So I'm really looking forward to that. And lastly, Russ Hayes. Uh, I've known Russ for a long, long time. He's going to do a piston evolution uh, presentation, you know, from the early designs, Model A Ford type stuff to current where the gas engine pistons are so close to diesels that it's hard to tell them apart. You take a look at the EcoBoost. It's got an entry bowl for the injection, uh, nigh-resist inserts, so that technology is coming close together between the gas and diesel world. And Russ will, he'll lay it all out for us. And he can answer any question you can probably think of when it comes to pistons. He's only been doing this about 35 years. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, that's four great guys. Um, very informative. Uh, looking forward to that super webinar. Our first one was a big hit. Uh, this one I think will be just as good and uh, there'll be some door prizes we'll be giving away throughout the day. So please register for that. Um, you can visit us on our website at AERA.org to find that information. And I'll also be doing some e-blasts on that. So look for that in your inbox, uh, sign up. It'll be a good, uh, it'll be a good day of technical information. Uh, since we're not doing trade shows in our regional conferences, this is a good opportunity to listen to some industry greats uh, talk about technical information and get that to the to the machinists. Just like this podcast, you know, it's another outreach. We need those outreaches. And, you know, there, there are people out there that can help you get started if you have an idea. Everything comes from an idea, right? Yes, it does. You know, when we started this, Chuck, we we kind of didn't know for sure what we were getting into. You know, we're um, we're engine guys. We're not radio per personalities or anything like that. Most definitely, Steve, especially me. When you had <laughs> you had the idea, and I'm like, this sounds cool, and it's scary as hell. All the same, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's just not my. Personality. It's like we were we were jumping into the deep end of the pool, but uh, had no. Uh, had no floaties to keep us up. <laughs> Thanks for pulling me. And, you know, as you were, you were saying earlier, uh, you know, we had some discussion with a, a longtime friend in the industry who has uh, made this a 
primary objective in his life and his uh in his his teammates. Yep, and speaking of that, Chuck, we got a little um, uh, sponsor here from from those guys, and that is the Parks Counter Gurus. If you're thinking about starting your own podcast or video channel, use the guys we use to get it all started. Keith and Jay over at the Parts Counter Gurus are auto industry veterans, fans, gearheads, car nerds, speed freaks who happen to have their own podcast and can help you with yours. And it all starts with an idea, like you stated earlier, Chuck. They can help bring your idea to life. They will work with you to develop the show concept, advice on technical needs, and a production workflow. They walked us through that process of purchasing, setting up, and using the right equipment for recording episodes and also providing hosting options and advising on how to, to submit your content. If you're looking to make your brand stand out with professional video services and to enhance your product visibility through professional product videos or product reviews, the Parts Counter Gurus can help you achieve both. You can contact Keith and Jay today by visiting their website at www.partscounterguru.com and click on the Ask a Question tab. Yes, we sure had a lot of questions ourselves. And the jargon? What's clipping? What's a pop filter? Boom mics. You know, I see the guys in the entertainment industry and never really paid much attention to it until all of a sudden, wow, these are tools for our toolbox to help us get our message out there. So quite the learning experience. We had a lot of questions and still do, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Because obviously we're only in episode four, uh, still trying to learn some things. But I tell you, Keith and Jay do a good job. They listen to what your concerns are. And, you know, if you are looking at starting a podcast or a video channel, these would be the guys to use. They're great to work with. They understand our industry for one thing. That was what was nice when we started talking to, talking to them was uh, Jay kind of came from this industry. And it's he understands the industry and what we're trying to do uh, with our objectives. So that was really nice. And the communication you can have with Jay when you talk about this industry and Keith as well. Uh, you know, Jay is a, a longtime parts guy, so he knows our jargon intimately. Uh, so that makes things much easier when you want to do something in this sector of the industry. Well, I think that brings us up to the to what we're, our topic is today, Chuck. And that's going to be the value of machine maintenance. Cannot be expressed enough. You know, there is, when you, when you problem solve, it's always man, method, machine. Okay. Man is a constant variable. The method, hopefully you have a method, something that's hashed out. <laughs> So that constant variable, the man, you try to set that aside, hope your methods are well, machine. Okay, so maintain that equipment because that's going to be paramount in your livelihood. If you have a scheduled curriculum or program to maintain your equipment, you're going to be far ahead. So some of the topics that we're going to discuss in the podcast today are daily operator maintenance, scheduled maintenance, 
usually can look in the back of a service manual for that and avoiding breakdowns. A lot of people consider a broken down machine maintenance. That's fighting chaos is what that is. Mm-hmm. So all, all three of those are important. You know, like you say, doing your daily operator maintenance is, is key and having a maintenance program as well all leads up to the last one, which is avoiding those breakdowns. For sure. Uh, I know in our conversations, talking about your dad, you know, for folks that don't know your your dad's how many years into the career of building engines? Oh, he's into about 62 years or 60 years, I think now. Planted you in the seat of a drag car first off, right? Oh, yeah. And and I know your dad and and I can hear him, you know, saying <laughs> what you had told me, you know, clean as you go. You guys were, you know. What better time than now is if that if you're working on that machine so that you don't have to battle that in minutes, days, hours from now, clean mm-hmm. as you go. Yep. Have some kind of have a list of what needs to be done daily, uh, whether it's wiping down, cleaning up chips, turn off the ball valves. You know, turn off your air pressure at the end of the day. Uh, make sure that you discharge any uh, moisture that got in the airlines. Things like that mm-hmm. are paramount. Uh, machines don't go out of calibration daily. Uh, like many of your gauges, yeah, you have drops, you have crashes. But by and large, this stuff happens a little bit at a time. Uh, I... I know that we use a lot of air blast in the shops and when it comes to seat and guide machines, that's one of the things you want to avoid, especially in the powder metal seat world. That's one of the things we're going to talk about in the webinar. I'm sure that by now, every machinist that would be listening to this globally has experienced powdered metal seats. When you machine a powdered metal seat, you make very fine chips. No more of the stuff that looks like you're spitting off of a lathe, you know, or you've peeled an apple. That's not so common anymore. Uh, you know, and, and instead of blowing those around, you just take a little shot back or, or whatever, and just kind of suck them up. Oh, for sure. And what's a vacuum cleaner cost you anymore for a little gallon one that you could put right in your machine? They just about give those things away. A lot cheaper than it's going to cost you to repair that machine down the road. Yeah, I think that uh, you had the opportunity to look at a, a seat and guide machine with me, in fact, mm-hmm. where machining a lot of powdered metal seats, that stuff was everywhere. It worn out Teflon seals, scraped up hard surfaces. You take a valve seat that's 42 to 50 Rockwell and you machine that and those chips get on two cast iron sliding surfaces, what's going to win? That hard yeah. chip, you're going to have a lot exactly. of damage to your sliding surfaces. So just keep that in mind. Uh, they always say you don't know what you don't know. And so we try to plant some seeds and further educate yourself about what are good practices and what impact they're going to have down the road, especially for someone. And I can tell you, we do have new people coming into the industry. I've been to a couple shops this year that are brand new machine automotive machine shops 
So if you can help share this information that can protect them from the onset, uh, it gives them opportunity for more longevity. Yeah, training those new guys, uh, your procedures in the shop and how you want things done is is key to keeping these machines going. As as like Chuck has, you know, said several times before, and and he's very passionate about this. Uh, is the machine maintenance part of this uh, of our industry? You know, he he came from Jasper, um, and and that was very very key uh, to keep those production guys going. Is is maintaining those machines. Right, right. You know, 60,000 engines or more per year. Uh, that's you know, thousands of employees that are relying on those equipment uh, maintenance programs to ensure that they can produce daily. Hmm. So, you know, and we think of maintenance on, on the machines, but the ancillary stuff that goes with it, a lot of machines have gauges that you know if you have if you mill a surface okay i have to meet, keep the gauge calibrated to the fly cutter so that i know how much i'm resurfacing from a block that stuff is also going to be exposed to chips and dirt so it's the the whole package that you need to pay attention to uh if you don't do that say you have a gauge that sticks and it's in mid travel it's got dirt impacted around the stem of the indicator uh, i think i'm going to take off two thousandths and i take off 72 thousandths yeah not good not, not good, good. <laughs> uh some some other often overlooked things, especially through this and seat and guide machines. Some of our friends out there that are service technicians that are probably listening, uh, they can tell you, you go into shops all the time and you see on the parallel surface that the workhead travels on. I have pilots laying up there, tool bed holders, wrenches. If I'm going to pick up that, that nice insert holder with a pilot, the thing actually weighs a fair amount. Drop that on that surface. Now you're dealing with a big ding. And, you know, you think, okay, a, a ding, What what's the big deal about that ding? Well, for every action, there's a reaction, right? So metal mm -hmm. gets pushed down, metal around it gets pushed up. So it's going to take the space up between my airflow table. In some instances, yeah, you file that down. But why put yourself in that position? Get too many dings, and all of a sudden, it's you're trying to air float over a golf ball surface. Correct. Yeah, that was uh, that's a big one there. Yeah, you see that kind of more than you think as people just and they think they might be laying it, but like you say, every reaction has or every action has a reaction. So every time you put that up there, it, it could ding it, scratch it, put a little little just a little groove in there. Uh, and all that makes a makes a big difference. Now, if guys were to do that, I'm sure they have the ability to machine that surface again. Is that correct? Correct. Been there, done that. Actually, disassembled Surdy machines, the old VGS twenties. Uh, pull the machine apart, send out to a custom machine shop because to fix your equipment that works on cylinder heads or blocks, that 
piece of equipment has to be put on a much bigger piece of equipment that makes machines. So we don't typically have those in our shops, right? So mm -hmm. you want to avoid that because it's costly. And that cost may not be so much that, hey, he charges you $1,200 to resurface it. I have a machine that I've taken out of commission for weeks. What's that cost you? Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. The cheap part is getting it, getting that surface milled probably and having that machine out of service is the, is the more expensive part of that whole process. Absolutely. That's your breadwinner. Yep. Sure. Sure. You got to have a guy in front of it, but we thought long and hard about the return on investment to go buy that 70, $80,000 machine. So just take care of it. Yep. The other thing that we kind of always did um, in our shop, and it's kind of our next key point here was, and you mentioned it earlier, was to turn the air pressure off to those valves on those machines. Kind of explain a little bit, Chuck, what what the purpose of that is and how that can do longevity of the machine. More specifically with seat and guide machines. And we like to hit on that topic a lot because I'd say 90 out of 100 calls that we get on the tech line are cylinder head related. So most people have a seat and guide machine on those machines to allow them to move left, right, front, back. There's typically some airlock management system. So you have valves that are going to be con If you don't shut your air off, they're constantly under stress and pressure. So that reduces the, the lifetime of that, that valve when they have opening, closing, like Surtees have diaphragms, some have it, a cylinder, but it's still going to have piston rings. So if you can take the air pressure off and give that a opportunity to have a break, because like in the Surtees, the, the diaphragm can start to leak, deforms the shape of the diaphragm, Sometimes it gets into a permanent deformation of the shape of the diaphragm. Then you're actually increasing air pressure for the airflow and it doesn't center as well because it's kind of, it acts like it's dribbling. Anybody that's got surties, they've probably seen where they'll chatter, bounce up and down because you have the air pressure so high to get over the top of the dings and the dirt. So give everything an opportunity to get some rest at night and the cost of just running compressed air to equipment when you're not in the shop can be quite astronomical. Mm -hmm. If you, if you keep track of, because I know I used to go into the shop early in the morning when it was quiet and you would hear air power drills running air leaks at all types of equipment because in the chaos of the day and the other noise, we don't really notice those things. But when the, at night, when the lights are shut off, you come back in in the morning and your hums and buzzes and hisses because the air is getting kicked back on, you know, the machines actually were some of the best ones because that was some of the standard protocol of the day was flip off that air valve, open and close to let the pressure relieve. But again, you would have, you know, air drill motors, maybe an agit agilift or agitating tank. You would hear it stroking as the, as the air came back on because the air was shut off at night. But when it came back on in the morning and before everybody got 
busy and you got into daily chaos, then it would really just tell you how much was uh, being unmonitored and uh, left to, to leak, basically. And that brings up another point, you know, those leaks obviously can't be good. Uh, having any kind of air leak or anything like that on equipment cannot be good. Correct. And, and that goes for, you know, particular machine that we looked at relied heavily on hydraulics as well. So you have a scarf cut seal that can no longer maintain hydraulic oil. You have that in an environment where you're making chips that would stick in hydraulic oil. Now you have a lapping compound as you move the parts around. It doesn't just destroy one side of it. It's usually destroying both sides of it. So, you know, those repairs can become quite costly. Not only on the piece of equipment that's receiving that air, but if you do have a leak, obviously your air compressor is going to run more too, which is just more wear and tear on it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, so, you, so a little air leak in a, in a seat and guide machine, you may think is, uh, it, it, it could be affecting that seat and guide machine, yes, but down the road where all this air came from, that's getting wear and tear on it too that probably most people don't even think about. Right. And every facet of your business costs you, right? Oh, yeah. So, so if I can't make a seat that meets the expectations for run out, well, that's a problem. That's a quality issue. But if the maintenance of your equipment costs you in dealing with breakdowns, ultimately at the end of the day, that's still money out of your pocket that could be reinvested into your business or your, your health and well-being. You know, you, we work to support our personal lives as well as, you know, our, it's a two-way street with a business. You got to intake and output, right? So you got to put into it to get something out of it and take care of your investment. Even if it's just an air leak and maintain and making your compressor last 10 years instead of four or five. Mm -hmm. And you should drain those compressors frequently. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you got any kind of moisture in those tanks, uh, which I think probably most people do, uh, but you can see that moisture pretty easily. And when you're uh, blowing things off or something like that, you know, you can see that. Right, right. Many of us, because of the integration of more CNC equipment, uh, measuring devices that you don't want to have messed up with moisture. We are running drier systems. We are having smarter air systems that have some kind of controls that tell us something is awry, but there are still opportunities there. So clean, dry air is paramount. If you, water's not compressible. So right. once you build that moisture and you push it, through your airline into your machine and it ends up in a valve. Okay. Now it deadheads in the valve. So the response of the valve may be slow at best and totally dysfunctional at worst. Right. So again, a little bit of preventative maintenance can keep you out of that chaos state. Again, Breakdowns aren't maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
kind of one thing that we talked back in episode two, and if you haven't listened to that, it'd be good to go back and listen to, um, which was titled selling your business or selling your services to your customer was the perceived condition of your machine talks to your customer without even saying a word. Oh, for sure. I think we even mentioned this about restaurants. If you go into a restaurant, one of the first things I do is walk into the restroom. If that's a filthy, nasty hole, I kind of presume the kitchen is not far behind and I just don't eat there. So if I go to a machine shop and I have to carry my own personal lantern with me, I'm probably not going <laughs> to give them the opportunity to work on my stuff. Uh, does that mean that – so a home with st stinky brown sulfury oil, that's, that's a real challenge, but give it effort. If a guy goes into a machine shop and he can tell what color that machine was – it still looks like new. Oftentimes they're going to be like, take my money. If it looks like, you know, a barbarian's cave, then, you know, and, and I know it's just brutally honest. Uh, I've been in all sides of that. Does it, it's, it's difficult to make everything fit in your day, but that's a good way to make someone just turn and walk away. And again, we mentioned this in a previous podcast too. If you, if you do what you say, say what you do, you have your prices are laid out. The expectations are set. Hey, the guy looks like he's got the right equipment to do my task because oftentimes the, the customers aren't educated enough and some are YouTube certified warriors and you get some arguments of that. But if you, again, do what you say, say what you do, you maintain a nice organized shop, you probably don't need that guy as your customer anyway. The other right. people are going to be knocking your door down because of trust. Well, and that perception of seeing a nicely well-maintained equipment means that you take a little pride in your work and, you know, you want to get things uh, done correctly and looking good. And, and, and like you say, a guy can look at that piece of equipment and say, man, that guy takes the time to keep that clean. Um, that's the shop I'm going to go to. I have a real story. My brother-in-law, he's in commercial well drilling business, pipeline, uh, municipality type stuff. So they bought a, they bought a crane and it was painted like the the brown, like UPS brown, and it had some, mm -hmm. they had like some orange and silver lettering stuff on it. And the truck would get pulled over at a pretty high frequency. Nice truck, never really found anything on it. So a guy that was driving it was telling me the story. He's like, yeah. So one day I finally said, why does this truck get pulled over so much? He goes, you typically never find anything wrong with it. And the DOT guy said, it's ugly. <laughs> it's such an ugly, it's such an ugly crane. We just presume that we're going to find oil leaks or stuff not secure. It's going to have problems because it's ugly. So, you know, being appealing does have it its advantages. You know, is it a good looking piece of equipment? Uh, you know, kind of 
don't draw the attention to yourself by having an ugly truck and driving in the left lane all the time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't profiling, were they, Chuck? <laughs> Another good topic to talk about, Chuck, is scheduled maintenance, which is a little more in-depth than your daily operator maintenance, probably. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the nice thing about scheduled maintenance the equipment manufacturer usually puts efforts to putting that in the back of the operator owner's service manual uh, instead of you figuring those things out along the way. That said, you're going to have conversations with your salesman, with uh, any service tech, maybe training people, and they're going to say, oh, yeah, I should also watch out for this or watch out for that. Take notes. Use that to your advantage. And push back. Try to get and put it in the service manual. Why not help the guy down the road? Uh, you buy another piece of equipment, be better prepared for it. So yeah, push back and try to get them to capture that. One thing on those, uh, as you mentioned, those owner's manuals, service manuals, uh, one thing that came to mind is if a gentleman or an individual buys a used piece of equipment and they don't have that service manual, is that something they could contact the manufacturer and get that? That's much improved, Steve. That's a good question. Uh, because used to, it was expensive. So if you bought a used piece of equipment, well, somebody's got to pay for the cost of that manual. We're in that business. We know that they don't publish manuals for free. Right. But, but in this electronic world, more and more of those are available PDF, and they will send that to you. Uh, for example, you know, Rottler's got legacy machine manuals that you got a, a link on their website you can go to. Uh Sun and I think they have a bit of the same. You can get that. If not, you just reach out to their technical department and they'll get them. I've done that for people in the tech line uh, I, for a couple of reasons. Hey, it, it helps us to answer questions and we have those lines of communication. We'll get that information out to the member. Yeah, so that's a good point to keep in mind. If you don't, if you do buy a piece of equipment or used equipment from somebody and they do not have that service manual, reach out to those manufacturers. They probably have it or can get it to you. Um, adjustments; those are always key uh, in performance of these uh, machines and and so on. So, why don't you touch a little bit about that? So, I think I mentioned it earlier a little bit. Stuff doesn't necessarily go good, bad. It's not the flip of a switch. It can happen, but we wear things out over time. So things like measuring valve seat concentricity is a good way to see that your seat and guide machine is making good parts, of course, but is it a slight adjustment or is something broke? Uh, so just keep on Keep on top of those things, concentricity of blocks, so forth. So adjustments along the way could protect you from major repairs. And that's on any piece of equipment. I mean, a uh, crank grinder, valve seat guide machine, any of that type of stuff. Absolutely. Uh, good examples of adjustments uh, level. Every machine is sensitive to level at some to some point your seat and guide machines most of the airflow so level is really really critical level on 
a surfacer as long as the workhead is traveling parallel to the work table that's a different kind of it's level to the machine maybe not level to the earth so you gotta you have to understand that function level and asserty may mean that the umbilical cords always pull the workhead back to center same can be true of like the Rottler SG9 uh, the new in machines not so much it's a little different uh, concept that they have on that workhead but you know, ultimately you do want it pretty daggone close to level. Uh, those things also can show up in like, we'll call it a soft foot. Say maybe your machine's got one of the feet that is moved. Okay, those adjust level, but say if you're, you got forklift traffic or you're using a pallet jack and you move a big heavy load and say you've, for some reason, the machine sets across a seam in the concrete floor all that transition, it can shake those machines where they're actually loose in their footing. And if they're loose in their footing, then you may start to see uh, issues with, with performance, chatter, vibration, things of that nature. One thing to keep in mind on these machines too, Chuck, is it, every part has a life cycle. I mean, they're not uh, 100% going to last forever. Uh, every part has a life cycle. Right. And we all know that maybe the part was under-engineered, possibly, or maybe just the wrong part was selected. Uh, again, when you develop these machines, real world is not encountered till the thing goes into the real world. So, I mean, how many new engines have been developed and dyno tested and beat up in, at the OE level? They get to the field, 3.8 Ford, million vehicle recall. They've done the cold thermal shock testing. They had a terrible head gasket problem. So um, you can plan and you can test, but the real world is much different than a sanitary test world. So uh, that that comes into play. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, water is detrimental to a lot of the parts. So if you if you keep some parts available, I know it costs money but it can, it can protect you from those major shutdowns. So adjust, have some parts available. And, uh, you know, th this is a good example, having friends in other industries. Again, like my, my brother-in-law had a fleet of trucks and the ones that had the uh, 444 Navistar engine in Ford truck. Everybody drives around with a cam position sensor in the glove box. They teach the drivers how to plug it in and go, because you shut down, bam, you're done. But just a few minutes, plug and play, and you're back on the road again. You're back on the road again, yeah. So getting those parts and keeping them handy if there is a breakdown uh, is key. And uh, probably once you go through it one time, you'll know what to get um, that may not last as long or, or something like that that has a life cycle that you should keep. And, you know, when you order one, order two. Uh, that was always our idea is if something breaks once, well, there's a pretty good chance it might happen again. Right. And what's what's the chain to that part? Because the manufacturer that builds machines doesn't mess necessarily, they don't manufacture a power supply or a PCI card or something <laughs> of that nature. So 
And we know that with technology changing rapidly, and I understand you don't want to spend $15,000 on a part that's going to sit on your shelf. But if it's sure. a reasonable cost, you have to think about what your daily value is. Okay, if this shuts me down for a day, two days, because when you get something overnight, you still lost a day. So, right. hey, is this thing more valuable than a day of my time, a day of my opportunity? So think about it in, you know, risk versus reward. Uh, you know, another thing, we're engine machinists, but it serves you very well to educate yourself on the makeup of the equipment. Machines are tools that support our livelihood. So get ed educate yourself on the how and the why. What's a gib adjustment? What's the difference between a dovetail and a boxway? You know, those that's not old, old, outdated technology when we talk about dovetails. Uh, your, your chucks on your lathes, uh, or your crank grinders, I should say, they're still using dovetail ways on a cross-slide mechanism. Uh, linear ways. What, what's a linear way as opposed to a dovetail way? Uh, boxways are bigger, heavier. What's tersite? How is it applied? Is that something I would do in my own shop? Power supplies, as I mentioned earlier, variable frequency drives, VFDs. Uh, you'll hear that term used a lot, but what is it? You know, when you used to turn motors on and you see the lights dim in the shop, variable frequency drives, they could soft start motors. Those are things that uh, can increase the longevity of the piece of equipment, the performance, variable speeds, things of those natures, uh, buck boost transformers, properly sized breakers. I've seen this all too often where, okay, I keep throwing a breaker. Well, I don't find out why I'm throwing a breaker. Let's just put a bigger breaker on. Burn right. your shop down. <laughs> well, you know. So get educated on that. The buck boost transformers. It's machines with electronic controls are much more sensitive to incoming power. The further we are from the source or the busier that particular grid is, you can have a lot of undulation in your incoming power. You could do things like get a good meter and look at inrush voltage. Look at your power supply, turn the power on. Bam, this thing says to be at 208 plus or minus 5%. And I just got a shot of 260. So... I've got to protect myself from that inrush voltage. Uh, buck boost transformer, you can do a couple things. You can either boost up some low voltage and stabilize, or you can take a higher income voltage, run it through that transformer, and it'll make sure that what's going out can be tuned. So, hey, I'm going to have 208 volts, plus or minus four, saves my electronics. Why do I know this? Because been on the receiving end of a lot of blown up components. <laughs> <laughs> You've been down that road before. <laughs> so, so at the end of the day, why does this matter? Uh, because the impact, performance, quality, and reliability. And what does that that impacts your reputation? If you constantly can't meet demands because your equipment is down 
than going to go somewhere else where they can get to it. Well, and I think it's like you said before, that's, it's our livelihood. You know, you depend on those pieces of equipment to keep running, making money, uh, making chips, we all say in our industry. And if they're not working, why that is definitely going to impact, uh, impact your livelihood. And, and we talked about this subject earlier, but, you know, moving on here, uh, clean, dry air is super important. The, the amount of air that's being used across machines uh, many of them have safety faults built in get below a certain amount of air pressure bam goes into a safety shutdown mode machines that are manual low air pressure or moisture things of that nature uh, as we discussed earlier damages valves solenoids and so on if i'm pressurizing moisture through the system i'm going to deal with rust i'm going to create moisture and oil i create sludge stuff sticks as i said earlier water is not compressible so it may hydrolock components so again always understanding that cause and effect chain we know a lot of these things. Sometimes we just don't apply them because we're more worried about being a machinist, but of the engine components. But again, just you always have to think about that big bowl of spaghetti we live in, the interrelationship of all things. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, water is good for outside use, not inside use. <laughs> <laughs> we need water to live. Just not yes, right. in our vows. <laughs> you know, in all these maintenance uh, uh, things that we've talked about here, you know, your operator maintenance, your scheduled daily maintenance, um, <clears throat> your monthly maintenance, whatever, however you do it, all leads to avoiding breakdowns. Uh, breakdowns are not good uh, on anything. You know, and uh, kind of like you said earlier, Chuck, and I, I like that quote, um, when a machine breaks down, it's no longer a maintenance, it's a repair. For sure. I don't think that we we talk about that when it comes to our car. Oh, crap. Forgot my oil change. Now my car, it needs a, maybe a little further maintenance. You're like, I didn't change my oil. I locked the engine up. It's broke down. <laughs> but... But <laughs> in the machines, it's like I had to had to call in a maintenance guy for my machine. Well, we should change that guy's name. Uh, I had to call in the chaos guy to bail me out because <laughs> I broke down. <laughs> the chaos guy, I love it. <laughs> so, so when that machine's broke down, you got work piled up everywhere. Uh, you you can't. You can't commit to it until that's back up. So you're waiting on a promise so that you can give a promise. You know, how do we deal with uh, with some of these breakdowns? Do we, we call our competitor shop? Do we just let stuff pile up? Do we find a less desirable manner to, to do the work? Do we still yield the specification that we're comfortable with? You know, you have to take a look in the mirror and say, 
if I was on the other side of the counter, would I, I want that for me? So prepare yourself. Yeah. When that happens, it's kind of like, uh, I do one thing with my right hand, one thing with my left hand. And if it's broke, I lose my left hand. Now, what do I do? You know, it's one of those things. Uh, you got to have both hands to do something. You got to have that machine to do something. Right. So, you know, if you were to put, put it in some bullet points, you know, I have, you know, think about this. Now I have this urgent need for a tech at a high fee. Do I add a piece of equipment? That you probably that didn't plan for. <laughs> wasn't wasn't planned for. Uh, maybe it's a combination. Okay, I don't want this to happen to me again, so I'm going to buy this machine to make sure that I have a contingency plan. And now I'm paying a guy 1250 bucks a day, plus his airfare, plus the, the time that they start punch, they punch the clock. Okay, we got this call. It's urgent. So you not only pay for the guy's airline ticket, you pay for the four hours that he's on a plane. You pay for his drive time to the airport. Once it gets to your place, okay, from the airport to your place, a rental car, man, the $100 bills start stacking up like crazy. It's probably more fun throwing them away in a poker game. <laughs> well, you might have better return if you can win one of those hands. You know, you might get some of that back. But, uh, yeah, his his time pretty much starts as soon as he walks out the door. You know, and that's that's not good because, A, that machine's not making you no money, and, B, you're paying that guy to come fix it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're, we're glad those guys are out there. Oh, absolutely. But they're ones that we would like to – to replace if at all possible we all want our stuff to work when we flip the switch they're guys you'd and, like to know as a friend <laughs> not have them frequent your shop very often right right i won't throw out his last name but uh, you know first name marty we glad to know you <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> well chuck i think that's hit some good good key points on the machine maintenance uh, and the value of maintaining your equipment. Um, it's something you're very passionate about. Uh, like we talked earlier, you know, it, it's a top priority for you. And I know when you go do your custom training with our our members, our AERA members, that is one of the things that you cover is maintaining that machine so it doesn't break down and trying to get the longevity out of it as much as you can. For sure. And, and I tell you what, it seems to really resonate once you can get out there and show some tips and tricks and and when you see what can go wrong so there's some people that have some great programs and there's people learning along the way and that's what this is about just trying to save you from some headaches trying to educate them uh, make sure that they're doing the right things to their equipment to make it last long um, and, and it was a good topic that we talked about um you know, Chuck and I had, had gone to do a custom training at a shop um, and, and noticed some things there that we thought, man, this would be a good topic to talk about. And I think it was. I think a lot of people will get some good information out of this. And it's something that that's what we're here for. You know, that's the main purpose of this podcast is to educate people and keep them uh, up to date on what's happening in our industry. Great point, Steve. 
With that being said, as we're wrapping up uh, this episode of the podcast, coming up next is something that we have had a lot of calls on here lately in the tech department. Um, it's something that has come to head here recently that we we think is important to talk about, but it's something that everybody should be doing really every time they tear an engine down. And it's going to be engine teardown and documenting specs. You know, Steve, I had mentioned earlier within the discussion that we're seeing some new folks come in and maybe this is, is a part of that. When you get these calls well i don't know what it was before you know we just look in for the we look in the manual or we look on process or whatever and it gives us a spec the the parts it just doesn't seem right the 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 valve or the seed or well what did you have to begin with don't know didn't measure that sometimes you receive a basket case sometimes we just didn't do due diligence to get that information. So we'll really beat up on that topic, get some good examples and, uh, and try to share the message because it, it is, it's, it seems to be a, a more current issue. And hopefully it's because we've got some new opportunity with some new fresh faces and minds and we need that. So it's, it's not a complaint. It's again, it's another opportunity to share uh, from our experiences. Uh, wisdom and intelligence are separated by experience. Mm-hmm. So that before, it's very true. Uh, you can have a great capacity to learn, but if you're not learned, if you haven't been down that path, then it may not have that great of value to you. I guarantee you these folks that have had some challenges with this particular setup are probably going, not going down that path again. I'm going to measure before I tear it down. We just got to get that message out to all. Yeah, I think, uh, I think a good, <laughs> a good heading for that episode might be, uh, and I'll take it from the carpent carpenters world measure twice, cut once. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, so yeah, if you'd like some more information about AERA, uh, you can please visit our website at www.aera.org. It has membership information, uh, talks about our process pro program, and that's where you can get information about the online training that we talked about earlier. Also, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, search AERA engine rebuilders association or engine professional magazine. And also, we are on all your favorite podcasting, podcast listening platforms, and all you need to search is the AERA Engine Professional Podcast. Subscribe, and you'll be ready to listen to our next podcast. Well, Chuck, it's uh, November here. Uh, leaves are falling. Things are turning, uh, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, being the month of November, obviously, we'd like to wish everybody a very, very happy Thanksgiving and enjoy the time with your families. Uh <laughs> Holidays will be a little different this year, but try to make the best of them. For sure. We may not be able to gobble, gobble together, but uh, we're always thankful of our friends, family, our industry, our jobs. And from AERA, we thank you for your support. Eat some turkey, watch some football, take a couple naps, eat some more turkey. 
what could go wrong? <laughs> Call me the tryptophan man. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chuck, uh, that'll do it for this episode. Um, till next time, we're going to ride off into the sunset here as the sun sets earlier nowadays and um, get things ready for our next episode. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I think a lot of people enjoyed it and um, it was a good episode. Thanks, Steve. Great show. All right, guys. Till next time, we're out of here. Take care.